Are you ready? Absolutely. Keith, I, I want to go back 27 years to September 1996 and, and hear this clip from MTV News. Tupac Shakur dead at the age of 25 of complications from several bullet wounds sustained Saturday night, September 7th. He was 25 years old. Shakur was shot four times after leaving the Mike Tyson boxing match in Las Vegas in a car driven by Marion Suge Knight, the head of his label, Death Row Records. The shots were fired from a Cadillac that drove up alongside Knight's BMW, but police still have no leads on a suspect or motive. That's the news for now. We'll have more news around the clock here on MTV. Keith, hearing this, where does that take you? I remember being being stunned. I don't know to that point in hip-hop there had been a figure quite that size that um, that had died at, at the height of, of his talents, to the height of his powers. Um, and, and when you really, really heard it, it, um, it was a shock. It seemed like nothing could take him down at that point. Keith McMillan is an editor at The Post, He's done a lot of reporting on the history of hip-hop. So I wanted to talk with him about Tupac Shakur's murder. For almost three decades after Tupac's death, his case went unsolved. No one was charged. Until now. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Thursday, October 5th. Today, Keith and I talk about Tupac's life and legacy— and what this breakthrough in his murder case just now means. Keith, before we get into this latest news about Tupac's murder, I do want to start this conversation with who he was. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most important thing to remember about Tupac is we had him for a very short period of time. Uh, Same song, which is the the song he features on with Digital Underground, and it's his first verse, and it was like his intro to to hip hop fans. Comes out in January of 1991, hmm. and he's shot to death in September of 1996. So it's a very short run, you know, what five and a half years that we had him, we got to know him, and it was um, certainly a meteoric rise. He was born in in Baltimore. He was uh, classically trained, you know, sort of famously went to school with Jada Pinkett Smith. Art school, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, by the time he makes it, he, he's in the Bay Area. Uh, he famously sort of represents Oakland. I mean, he would go on on BET and MTV and give interviews. And, uh, you know, as he strolled along a beach, he'd talk about dropping out of high school. So I dropped out knowing that I would have graduated. It wasn't no big thing. His mother's substance abuse. It was hard. It was hard because, you know, she was my hero. Everything was just going bad for her. It's harder for a woman to raise a family than it is for a man. Tupac was always working, making connections, trying to break into hip-hop. I used to rap everywhere. I was one of those people, man. I put my tape in the tape deck. I interrupt talks, conversations, and just start rapping. We first hear from him in, in a Digital Underground song. Everybody's like, who's that? And then it wasn't long after that where he is acting. You know, it's juice. It's poetic justice. It's gang-related. It's above the rim. You know, he didn't like to be boxed in. And he really set a blueprint, I think, for a lot of a lot of artists, especially MCs, in the in the '90s and beyond, to be more than just the person that stands in front of the microphone. Yeah, I try to go outside the boundaries. Sometimes it's effective and it's positive. Sometimes it's negative and it blows up in my face. 
He'd also surprise people who who saw his so-called thug life image when he'd speak up about rap as a genre. Even in our history, from ancient African civilization, poets went from village to village. And that's how stories and messages and lessons were taught, you know. Being the race that we are, being a strong race that we are, we picked it up. We picked up those positive, those positive vibes and started rapping. He just seemed like he he was multidimensional, and he saw himself as a spokesperson for young black males in, in tough situations. I'm just trying to show who I am. That people locked up on one part of me that they really did not understand. So now I'm trying to do two things. One, help them understand the part of me that they didn't understand, and two is to show that. Um, you know, this is the type of things that young black males can do. We could do anything if you just give us a shot. Stop trying to beat us down. Tupac, your life has been marred by considerable pain. Do you think you'll ever get to the point where you can live a normal, happy life? No. But I, uh, I'm going for it. I'm trying for it. He knows who he is. He knows where he is. Uh, at at that early point in his life, like he understands kind of where where he fits, um, and I think a lot of people were at that time, uh, especially young black men, were ready to hear that. Were kind of ready to have a champion to say the things that either you know you 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 couldn't articulate yourself or you weren't in a position in your life to be able to say those things. Um, he would just say them, mm-hmm. and you were like, yes, yes, somebody should have been saying that. Yeah, and. Tupac ended up having a huge audience and following, not just in the United States, but around the world. Let's just briefly talk about some of his most popular songs, like what he's known for and how these songs sort of represent all of the dimensions of him. I think the two that that stand out the most to me are Dear Mama and, and Keep Your Head Up. I think because they're such heartfelt songs that... Um, tap into to listeners emotions and even as a crack fiend mama you always was a black queen mama i finally understand for a woman it ain't easy trying to raise a man yeah and in dear mama he's it's autobiographical right he's talking about his mom right right and also like he talks about the pain without embarrassing his mm. mother right without shaming her for for whatever she's gone through like he at the end he still loves her he holds her up um, you know, his his mother raised him, um, and he was sort of raised in with with the ideals of the the Black Panther Party. Um, Changes is is another song. It's like social commentary yeah, with brought, that one, right? He's broadening yeah. it out, and he's he's right. He's thinking about um, how to improve the world. Mm. I mean, it's like impactful, but it's also interesting that it's coming from an artist like Tupac because he also had other types of songs, right? Like party anthems or songs about violence or misogynistic lyrics, right? Yeah, and, and I think, to be honest, most of his stuff actually fits in this this bucket where it's like really heartfelt. But you're right, you got California Love, which to this day, uh, party anthem. You got Hit Em Up, which is battle rap, right? Him just going at Biggie Smalls. First off, didn't the click you claim? He was prolific, and he he had range. He could do just about any type of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the events that led up to his death. First, sort of, can you remind us 
What had happened before the shooting that ultimately ended with him dying? So at this time in in hip-hop, a few years prior to to Pac's death, there's sort of this battle for the soul of hip-hop. And the battle is between, like, purists and and people who want to make it more popular. Um, And then the battle is also between New York area, which is where hip-hop started, and all the places it's branched out to, including California. Um, So there was a lot of um, angst and and jealousy between um, artists from the East and West. And, you know, they were certainly... Tupac and Biggie weren't the only people involved in it, but they they were the biggest figures in it, right? It really hit another level when Tupac is shot in New York. He's on the way into the studio, uh, supposedly to record with Biggie. He and Biggie are friends at this point up until the shooting happens. Tupac believed that he was set up. Mm. And from then on, he was kind of done with with Bad Boy. Bad Boy at that time was Puff Daddy, uh, Biggie, Mace. And, and so, and then did... Puff Daddy and Biggie, what did they say about that shooting? That they were behind it or did they deny involvement? Absolutely. Said they had nothing to do with it. They were just as surprised as everyone else. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But but at that point, you know, I think the, the friendship was broken. So that's the situation. And that takes us to September 7th, 1996. Tupac is in Las Vegas. And Keith, can you just walk us through what happened that night? So they're in Vegas. There's a Tyson fight. It's the place to be, right? It's the place to be, the place to be seen. Tupac is there with Suge Knight, the head of Death Row Records. After Tyson wins, there's a brawl in the lobby of the MGM Grand. And again, here's MTV News. From there, Tupac headed off to the home of Suge Knight, which is about five miles away from here. There's this very iconic photo of Suge Knight driving and Tupac being in the passenger seat, and he's looking at the camera, whoever took the picture, and he kind of has this blank stare on his face, um, did that mean he knew he knew he was going to die? Mm. From there, they head out to Suge Knight's Club 662 to celebrate the win. By 11.15 that evening, they were heading east on Flamingo, just coming to this intersection here at Koval. They were driving a black BMW 1996 model. Knight was driving, Tupac was in the passenger seat. Along the passenger side, right over here, came a late model white Cadillac. From inside, shots were fired, 14 of them. Tupac was hit four times, twice in the chest, once in the arm, and once in the thigh. Knight was mildly injured by some bullet fragments, but he promptly floored the car, spinning it completely around and took a U-turn so that instantly had a... Tupac's condition improved a bit, but eventually he died five days later on September 13th. Suge Knight, who was released from the hospital Sunday night, finally spoke with police on Wednesday and told them he, quote, Heard something, but saw nothing last Saturday night, leaving the cops with, as one spokesman put it, nothing, quote-unquote, in the way of leads towards suspects or motives. After he died, the circumstances in which he died, the fact that people at the time, um, especially when they didn't immediately solve the case, people believed he was still alive, maybe it was set up. And the other thing about him is, you know, a year before he died, he was in prison for eight months for sex abuse. And so when he got out, they say he recorded like 250 songs. Wow. You know, in a short period of time after he got out of jail, which allowed, after he died, allowed them to put out albums, albums on top of albums. Uh, changes didn't come out till, till after he'd passed away. So he had uh, this, this combination of being a larger-than-life personality when he was alive, dying in this very public and painful way, and then 
there being a trove of his music for people to dig into and, and explore their conspiracy theories um, inside. Yeah. And he's not the first artist to die um, in their 20s, right? There were, there were, there were lots of right. other, other artists that died in their 20s, for, generally for other reasons. Um, and theories swirled around them too, from you know John Lennon to Jimi Hendrix to Janis Joplin. And, and Tupac's place within hip-hop and within music and pop culture history belongs right mm-hmm. there with, with those names. Mm-hmm. After the break, the Las Vegas Police Department announced an arrest in Tupac's murder. We look into the details and talk about what this all means after 27 years. We'll be right back. So, Keith, after so many years, almost three decades, there is a very public, very official announcement that there is an arrest. And this comes from the Las Vegas Police Department. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. 27 years. 27 years. For 27 years, the family of Tupac Shakur has been waiting for justice. Well, first, from the, from the Associated Press coverage of the event, you can see there's this interesting tone. Tupac was actually quoted as saying, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside while still alive. Never surrender. Well, we didn't surrender thanks to the great work of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And then, then what? And then they got to their charge. We are here today to announce the arrest of 60-year-old Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keefe D, for the murder of Tupac Shakur. Murder with the use of a deadly weapon. Davis appeared in court briefly yesterday, actually. He didn't have a lawyer yet, but he's expected to plead guilty. But last week, Las Vegas police took us through the night of the shooting in 1996. On the night of September 7th of 1996, Tupac Shakur along with Suge Knight and members of their entourage, which include members of Mob Pyru, came to Vegas to attend the Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Well, here's where something different came into focus. The police focused on a rival gang that also came to watch that fight in Vegas. They were with the Southside Compton Crips, which includes Dwayne Davis, along with his nephew, Orlando Anderson. And after the Tyson fight, something happened between the gangs. Little did anyone know that it is this incident right here that would ultimately lead to the retaliatory shooting and death of Tupac Shakur. The police actually show video of Tupac and Suge Knight and their entourage basically jumping Anderson from the rival gang and then leaving the MGM Grand. I will now show you hotel security footage. You will see Tupac Shakur who's wearing a shiny satiny shirt punching and kicking Orlando Anderson. So this is like video of this fight that we kind of knew about before, but now the police are showing, here's the footage. Absolutely. This this video clip, again, in the days of pre-social media, this is a, a known clip. But like, what's new about this announcement if we've already seen this video? This is where Davis, also known as Keefe D, comes into the picture. That's when Dwayne Davis began to devise a plan to obtain a firearm and retaliate against Suge Knight and Mr. Shakur for what occurred inside the hotel against Mr. Anderson. 
What did they say he did first? Well, they said Davis obtained a gun, got into a white Cadillac along with a few others, including Anderson. Okay, so they get into the white Cadillac. He's with Anderson, who's his nephew. And then what do police say happened then? As they were driving west on Flamingo Road near Koval, they located the black BMW, which was driven by Suge Knight, and then Pasha Sheet was Tupac Shakur. This is the BMW that Suge Knight's driving, the one from the picture. They began shooting. Tupac was hit, and the Cadillac fled the scene. Okay, Keith, here is where I feel like it gets interesting, because even this video has been seen before. Some of what they announced, it feels very familiar or similar. Um, It sounds like we actually knew a lot of this before, right? Yeah, and the Las Vegas Police Department said as much. Our detectives knew most of the information I just briefed you on. It wasn't until 2018 that this case was reinvigorated as additional information came to light related to this homicide. Specifically, Dwayne Davis's own admissions to his involvement in this homicide investigation that he provided to numerous different media outlets. So I want to know more about that. What is it that Davis or Keefe D said in the public about Tupac's murder? In a 2018 BET interview, he said he was in the front seat of Tupac's shooter's car and his nephew was in the back seat. He said the shots came from the back seat, but he stopped short of naming the shooter. So he's not saying the shooter in that interview, but he's saying, look, I was there. The shots came from the back seat. And then was that the only time he's talked about this? He also talked about it in his 2019 tell-all memoir. And then there was this interview Davis gave to an online news channel, Vlad TV. We were just all in the car together. We was coming up from Ringo and uh, got to the light. We used to go uh, drink and smoke some weed. And he happened to be hanging out the window. He was hanging out the window like he was in a parade. Tupac. Yeah, he was. And we just came and I ain't going to go into details like that. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't sound like he was very careful. Yeah, he was not careful about this. I would say he snitched on himself, which is what led police to, to reconsider the case. And to start investigating Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Yeah. This ultimately led to us procuring a search warrant, which was executed at Mr. Davis's residence in Henderson, Nevada. The police say they found handwritten or typed documents concerning television shows, documentaries, YouTube episodes, book manuscripts, and movies concerning the murder of Tupac Shakur. Okay, that just sounds like so many things in this man's house that they said they found. One thing that really stands out to me is that Keefe D. Davis, he said a lot of this stuff in 2018 and 2019. Why did it take so long for something to happen on this case? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to get witnesses to talk. And Davis had stopped short of saying he shot Tupac in public interviews. It's, it's unclear why it took so long for police to conduct a search, but this is a question we'll be watching in the coming weeks and months as a trial date is set and we learn more about the investigation. Keith, we might not have a satisfying answer as to why it took so long to make an arrest in this case at this point. But then it's like, why does it matter? Let's speak about why it matters it took so long. Yeah, I mean, I might argue that the the fact anything happened at all after this amount of time comes as a great surprise to most of Tupac's fans. Um, there's a there's a longstanding distrust between Black Americans and and law enforcement. And the fact that you have 
Tupac and Notorious B.I.G., two of the most prominent uh, hip-hop artists of the 1990s, both uh, shot in very public ways. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know, on Friday when when uh, we sent out the alert, I, I actually had a jaw drop moment. That, really? Oh, yeah, that, that the arrest even happened. Um, and we get those news alerts. You know, you work here. You get those news alerts every day, all day. Yeah. And there isn't a whole lot of news left that shocks us. I think this this was just shocking in that um, it even got uh, reopened, readdressed, and solved because everyone had come to accept that the the shooting of of Tupac, the shooting of Biggie, they would never be solved. Yeah, and it also in some ways makes me think about like the conspiracy theories that like there's no way this man is not alive. He's so prolific. There's still music coming out. He must be alive on an island somewhere. But it almost like brings us all back to earth that. No, this was a human man who was very young when he died. Absolutely, yeah. And you just assume that that if he had been alive all these years, he wouldn't have just faded into the into the background. That he would have done something amazing with his life. Mm. Keith, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Keith McMillan is a general assignment editor at the Post. That's it for Post reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Bishop Sand. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks also to Trinity Webster Bass. If you love our show, please help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.